Tara Meek, and I'm the National President for Women's Energy Network, aka WEN. WEN is focused on developing a community of energy professionals across the world who are connected locally and networked globally. This podcast is dedicated to sharing stories and experiences of those who are part of our growing community. I hope you enjoy this episode. My name is Sally Hollingsted, and in addition to being today's host, I'm also the National Marketing and Communications Director for Women's Energy Network, aka WEN. Though this podcast is not new, today's episode does kick off the first of many under the WEN National Umbrella. With this in mind, we thought it only appropriate to talk about the history of WEN and how we got to where we are today, an international organization with 20 chapters and counting. To give insight to this process and the strong women it took to get us here, today's guests have all held the title as president of the National Board. We start with Jeannie Gardner-Michelle, serving as the inaugural National President in 2016 and 2017. We have Aaron McGee with Jackson Kelly, President in 2019, Jana Grauberger, Lisco and Lewis, President in 2020, and our current President of WED National, Tara Meek with Williams. Ladies, thank you all for joining me today. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. So let's kick this episode off with a little personal introduction from each of you and starting with our OG President, Jeannie Gardner. Well, thank you, Sally. So my name is Jeannie Gartner, and just a little bit of background about myself. Um, I'm a chemical engineer, which hardly anybody knows, uh, but I graduated with a degree in chemical engineering. No need to tell you the year. And um, when I first graduated from college, I really didn't know what I was going to do, um, but I ended up taking a job working in the oil and gas industry for a company that licensed technology uh, for oil and gas petrochemicals. And so the early part of my career, I spent traveling around the world, uh, starting up processing units in different refineries all around the world. Um, so I worked at a company called UOP, worked there for about nine years, understood everything that was happening within the inside of a refinery, but I had no clue how uh, business actually ran. Um, so I really wanted to get out of the refinery and get in a business. So I moved from UOP and went to work for Accenture doing management consulting, specializing in supply chain. And when I first started that job, I had no clue what supply chain was was, what it did, what were the parameters around it, but I just took a leap of faith. Um, so I worked at Accenture for about five years doing supply chain management, and then I moved into Shell. So I've been at Shell for the last 15 years. I'm currently a general manager in Shell's trade and supply organization, and I have a team that works on processes and looking at how do we improve processes across our business. So that's just a little bit about me and my background. And then give us a little insight as to your journey with WEN, just the, the Cliff Notes version, because I know you've been involved for quite a long time. <laughs> So my journey with Wynn was very interesting. Um, when I worked at Accenture, um, at, as most consulting companies, you travel a lot. Uh, you never have a job in the city that you live. Uh, you travel all over the country doing different jobs for different clients. And when I got my job at Shell, 
I had no network in the city of Houston. I didn't know anyone. Um, I had no kind of support system. And there was a lady that I worked with, her name was Muge Wood, and she was actually a member of WIN. And she was like, Jeannie, I belong to this fabulous women's organization, you have to come. Uh, so she brought me to my first WIN event. And after that event, I was hooked. Um, I think I went to several more events. And uh, as most people know, I'm not just a, a joiner. You know, I got to join and actually do something. So I think it was in 20, uh, 2006 or 2007, I actually nominated myself for a leadership position in WIN. Um, I didn't get on the board because nobody knew me. So I said, okay, well, I need to join a committee. I need to volunteer. I need to do something for these women to get to know me. Uh, so in 2008, I had my first board position on the Houston chapter board as marketing and communications director. And again, I knew nothing about marketing and communications, but I kind of winged it and got the job done. So I, that's my role that I started out with. I did that role for about two or three years um, before I was elected president of the Houston chapter in 2011. Then I was the first chair of the when biannual national conference in 2013. And that was a great success. We had about 300 people attend. And you have to think about at that time, it was when Houston, I think there was a Pittsburgh chapter, a South Louisiana chapter and a North Texas chapter. I mean, we were really small. So we had about 300 members at that first conference. And then in 2016, I was elected the national president to serve the rest uh, August 2016 through all of 2017. And then in 2019, I actually moved over to the Wynn Foundation. And so I was the vice chair for the Wynn Foundation in 2018. And then 2019, I was actually up, oh, sorry, 2020, I was the chair of the Wynn Foundation. I've done so much, I forget all of the dates. <laughs> awesome. Well, Erin, I know you were, uh, there was a gap between you and Jeannie because Rachel Miller was actually president between you two. But then mm -hmm. next up was you. So give us a little insight about you and your roles with WEN. Well, from my background, I'm an attorney. Um, my specialization is employment law. And I spent most of my career in West Virginia and in the courtroom. And so in West Virginia, naturally, I was representing a lot of coal companies. And then when the Marcellus Shale started to develop in around 2010 in um, Pittsburgh, around the Pittsburgh area, I started spending time up in that part of the region. And I was approached actually by a group of women who included Tara, who were interested in starting the Appalachia, what, what became the Appalachia chapter. And it was the first WEN chapter outside of Texas and Louisiana. And so Tara and I were on the same, the first board. I was the first president for the first couple of years as we got off the ground. And Tara eventually took over that role as well. And um, Jan and I were actually a part of a small task force that was asked to start a framework for the national organization. And I took part in that. Jan actually was the chair of that task force. And the national organization was born. And of course, Jeannie was the easy pick for the first president. And I followed shortly um, after that, after Rachel Miller. Yeah, I, um, Aaron and I did, this is Jana uh, Grauberger. We did work together to help form national, but my 
Wynn career began, uh, like all these other ladies, long before that. I actually discovered Wynn on the internet. Uh, I lived in New Orleans. Uh, I'm an attorney. I'm an oil and gas attorney. And I had been my whole career so far as a lawyer, five or six years, always in uh, meetings and rooms and courtrooms uh, with all men. And I was, you know, pretty used to it and, and all of that. But I was just thinking, you know, is there a group somewhere that I could join, you know, where there would be uh, people to help develop women in this industry? And I happened upon the Women's Energy Network and I was pretty excited because it was in Houston and I traveled to Houston a good amount for my, my work. So I joined and I made it a point to the next time I was in Houston to plan it around a win lunch at the Houston Petroleum Club in downtown Houston. And there were about a hundred women in this room and there was a speaker on a substantive energy topic and it was loud and chattery and there were just so many women, professional women in the energy industry in this room that it really just blew me away. It was unlike any experience that I had had and I was, uh, I was sold. An interesting thing that happened that day was that we got a free dessert at the Houston Petroleum Club because for the Petroleum Club, Wynn was the first women's group that had ever met there, you know, a club that for a very long time didn't even allow women uh, to come. And they were thrilled that we had been coming and using that as our monthly luncheon spot for a year at that time. Uh, so they came in and, and it was this celebration <laughs> Uh, of a year of when meeting at the Houston Petroleum Club. Uh, so that was, you know, interesting to me too. So uh, it happened that a couple of years later, I moved to Houston. My firm opened an office in Houston, uh, which I didn't know about at all when I had joined that that was even, you know, uh, a possibility. Uh, but it gave me a little leg up because I got more involved as soon as I got here and I volunteered to work on the Win Charity Lunch in Houston and ran around getting silent auction gifts and, and things like that. And that's how I initially met a few people, got a little more involved, uh, then volunteered to help rewrite the bylaws for the Wynn Houston chapter that are always looking for lawyers to, you know, get involved in those type projects and got to know more people and eventually got on the board, planned events for a couple of years and was president oh, around, I'm not as good with Jeannie as Jeannie with the dates, but around 2014. Uh, this past year, I was president of the national chapter. So, you know, it has been a long journey and it's been a really wonderful journey, both at the local level and all the people I've met. And then now it's just so super cool that we have people in all these places that we can, you know, really expand our network to, uh, you know, be with women all over the US and, you know, soon all over the world. And I'm sorry, um, I know you said you weren't very good at dates, Jana, but what year was it that, that you got the free dessert? I'm just like flabbergasted. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to say that had to be, I moved to Houston in 2005, so that had to be 2003, 2004, uh, Wynn had just met for one full year, apparently, at the Houston Petroleum Club, and they brought us out their famous, uh, Jeannie will laugh, their famous ice cream with chocolate topping and this, yes. like, that, right, it's, they have this, they have this dessert that's their thing, right? Um, and they, they added it to our lunch and, and they, and they spoke, you know, they were, they were super excited. So it was interesting. It was interesting to me that, um, you know, to sort of be part of that moment, which was kind of 
another moment, right? You know, within our industry. And again, my mind is just blown on that. That was 2004, just not that long ago. Anyways, um, and last but not least, Tara, please give our audience a little insight about you, what you, who you are and, and your journey with when. Sure. So I started out in the oil and gas industry as a hydrogeologist for the geological survey in West Virginia. And I sort of switched careers and went into the private sector from the state agency and was kind of like a deer in headlights. I was coal oriented, moved over to petroleum and then eventually into the oil and gas industry. So I kind of was looking for a network, people to, to look to. And I remember going to a conference around 2010 and there were 600 people in attendance and three women. <laughs> so it was kind of hard to find those those ladies that you can sort of look to, to go to for a network. And then I was approached by uh, Mary Hendricks from Jackson Kelly from Aaron's firm. And she asked me if I wanted to partake in starting the Appalachian region chapter for Women's Energy Network. And I thought, well, at least the three women at that conference, I can get with them and kind of hang out and, you know, share stories. But it ended up that the Appalachian chapter grew really, really quickly to over 300 members in 2011. And then um, I eventually did become vice president of the chapter in 2013, and then president in 2014. And then in 2016, when the national board was formed, I became membership director and stayed there until 2019 somehow. <laughs> I got recruited <laughs> for an extra year. Uh, I think I can blame Aaron for that. And then in 2020, I became uh, vice president last year and now this year I'm president of the national board. So I'm really happy to be here and see when expanding and all the new chapters coming on and I get to see the future as well. So it's really fun. How did you all decide to do a national board? Was it because enough chapters had come about that we needed to have some kind of umbrella or like, I would love for whoever is able to answer that or all of you, why? It was a factor of growth. We grew so fast. And um, like Tara said, we started what is now the Pittsburgh chapter in 2011, and we had over 100 women in probably six months and over 200 in the first year or so. And the DC chapter followed a few months after we did, and then Atlanta joined. And so it became um, clear that we couldn't put the burden all on Houston, which was the first chapter that started in 1994. We couldn't put the burden all on Houston to run all of these other chapters and to be the sole resource and that they're, um, we needed to find a way for everybody to work together. Yeah, and Houston was growing at that time too, um, uh, but we did start the chapters and, and Jeannie was a person who was instrumental in starting chapters. Uh, I remember being at a strategy meeting of the Houston chapter and Jeannie gave a presentation and said we you know, could become this national or international network and I think it was, I can't remember if it was within three or five years, but um, I remember sitting there and thinking, that's way too fast. You know, that's, <laughs> that's, we have our nice little thing going and, you know, this is a volunteer after work or in addition to work uh, type commitment that all of the people involved make. And, um, you know, we, we made the decision to start other chapters and we kind of just like all things win, jumped into that process feet first and then you're right, Erin, we had a couple of chapters and then we really had an explosion of chapters plus an explosion of growth in Houston. And it was a lot to manage. Uh, and 
you know, it's just obvious. It was just clear that we needed a national organization. And just to add to that, I think you have to give a lot of credit to the Houston chapter also for recognizing that. I think one good thing about the Houston chapter was, you know, whatever leader was in the uh, president's position, we always did strategic planning always, every single year, did strategic planning. And I remember the first strategic planning meeting that I went to, we were talking about starting chapters. And I'm like, what is this about starting chapters? And, you know, that was a long-term goal. And then all of a sudden it became a short-term goal. And all of a sudden we had done it. And we were like, okay, we've started chapters. We got all of these chapters up and rolling. What's next for the organization? And so the Houston chapter was definitely instrumental mental and, and pushing for a national organization. I will say whenever the Appalachian chapter formed, Jeannie was president of the Houston chapter at that time. And I thought, how is she doing all this? How is she running this huge Houston chapter and holding our hands? Because we didn't know what we were doing. We were constantly going to her for questions. So it was really amazing that she was able to do all that um, even back then. And then adding even more chapters after that, it was just, it couldn't be managed any further until the national board was made. How can WEN best support women in the industry, even if you don't want to be in a leadership role? Yeah, I think WEN provides an environment that's comfortable for women so that they can learn and be themselves and gain experience and leadership skills in a comfortable environment and not sort of be judged like they are in a workforce environment. So I just think that we provide that level of comfort and risk-free environment. It's super important. Uh, and it's always been important, but I think it's even more obvious that people aren't necessarily going to stay working for the same company, you know, their entire career. Um, uh, they're going to develop, they're going to have other interests, they're going to, and WIN just gives such a great opportunity. Uh, you might have your networks and your people with inside your company, and that's great, but it gives you an opportunity to really expand your network to people that have other types of jobs in the industry that are located in other places that work for other companies. And it just really broadens the network so you can continue to move forward. Yeah, and just to build upon what both Tara and Jana have already said, it gives um, our women an opportunity to meet other women in the energy industry. I remember talking to a very senior level leader um, at one point, and she was talking about the camaraderie that WIN brings. And I was like, well, tell me more about this camaraderie. And she was saying that, you know, she had went to an industry event, the external meeting, and she walked in the meeting room and she looked around the room and she saw all of these men in the room and there was one other woman. And that one other woman was a woman that she had met at a WIN event. And she was just like so super duper happy that there was somebody there that she had met that she know, knew. In that one instance, it changed her whole outlook of that entire meeting because she had that sense of camaraderie with someone else that was in the room. It's funny that we all have the same stories that we grew up in this industry being the only woman in the room or the only woman at the table. And I've always said that I got involved with WEN because I wanted it to be different for the next generation. And I take the same things from WEN that you guys have is these friendships that are now 10-year friendships, but also colleagues and people I can turn to for resources or just to talk about our experiences because so many of us have had the same experiences, both positive and negative. And 
for the next generation. And I like that we're here so that they can see, they can see themselves in us, hopefully, and that there is a really big space for women in the energy industry. We've had a really obviously interesting last year um, and have had to move virtual through no fault of our own. So any advice you have for people listening about how they can truly take advantage of their membership now while we're still kind of virtual, but also in the future when we're back to better, you know, AKA normal, I guess, for better lack, for lack of words. I think the really cool thing right now that we're virtual is that you can attend events virtually all over the country. So you can attend a Chicago event, you can attend a Boston event, and a Houston event, no matter where you're located. And so, you know, people are really getting to know other people from all over the country right now. And then you have the opportunity, and I think a really good idea that I've seen done is people will follow up afterwards and they'll send a little email, particularly if they were in like a small breakout group or something like that, uh, maybe kind of furthering the conversation or introducing people to each other a little bit more. And so I, I think people have been doing a really good job of, you know, coming up with ways to, to still engage uh, and to follow up, you know, even after events. Um, and I think that's one way to do it now. I would agree with Jana that getting involved with WEN is really a great way to take advantage of your membership because you're getting that risk-free leadership experience. And we need volunteers at every level, whether it be a committee um, on the board, and you're getting some type of mentorship or some type of leadership skill out of getting involved in that way. So I think that's a great way to take advantage of it. Yeah, and I was going to just say, I completely agree with both uh, Jana and Tara. You know, there's so many opportunities right now in a virtual environment. And I think next year, because we've learned that, hey, we can do virtually and we can connect virtually. You know, Zoom breakout rooms, I think everybody's become a professional in Zoom breakout rooms. Um, so it, it does lend to people that couldn't come to the face-to-face events now they can connect virtually. And I think even as we move into 2021, 2022, the virtual aspect of win will never go away because it's been so highly impactful and highly effective. And so, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I've been uh, participating in the White Fragility Book Club and meeting women from all over the country. In the last meeting, there was a woman from Nebraska. I was like, we have members in Nebraska? And she was a member, like an at-large member of the Utah section, but she was from Nebraska. And so I was like, this is fabulous. And so I tend to connect with everyone after those meetings, after those events, and keep in contact with them to ask different questions, you know, to learn more about them. And so this year has been great or 2020 was great from a virtual perspective and getting involved. Yeah, I think it's really unique that we've we've reached a whole new audience this year, but I was particularly impressed with how quickly some of the chapters pivoted and and Sally, I'll hand it to you when you were leading Colorado last year, you guys were one of the first to pivot to unique things like podcasts or webinars and these Zoom sessions whether it's social or a technical resource. Um, it's something that we'd always planned to have in the future. And the future was just thrust upon us. But we met we met that challenge and I was highly impressed with how well we met it. Yeah, just one more point on getting involved, I think that's important is you don't have to 
be a person who gets involved, over your head involved, you know, right at, right at the beginning. I understand that uh, even hearing the stories of all of us that are on this call, uh, you, could, you could think, well, I don't have the time to do that or, or you know, that's a lot, right? But I really think one great thing about WIN is you can really dip your toe in and do one thing, try one thing. Like Tara said, try one committee or be on the lookout for where your chapter might need help or where national might need help. And you can really start it in just you know a project, one single project way, and then kind of uh, meet some people, see what you like, and then look for another opportunity. So you don't have to make a big overwhelming commitment to get involved in WIN. You can do something that may only last a month or it may be just an hour or two a month or a year or something of that nature, um, as opposed to you know something that's gonna take a lot of your time if you don't have it. So moving on to some other area topics of interest for some of our listeners, what do you think some of the challenges women leaders face today, regardless of our industry? I think the big one is gonna be the fact that women have left the workforce during the pandemic in much in a much more disproportionate way. And so what will WEN be able to do to help women get back our market share? Because it seems to me over my 20 <laughs> some years of being <laughs> in the industry and practice, we've made tremendous strides. And when this thing is over, which hopefully will be soon, we'll have to look around and see what we've lost because I think there will be loss and how we get that market share back and make sure that women's voices are represented in the industry. Yeah, I completely agree with Erin on that one. I think COVID has really changed the landscape for women because you know, if you look today, women have become full-time parents, they're full-time caregivers, they're full-time housekeepers, they're full-time school teachers, and they still have to do a full-time job on top of that and really think about how they are helping lead their organizations through this unprecedented change that we're actually in and thinking about remaining visible and relevant in a virtual environment. And I think a lot of companies, they're starting to embrace diversity, equity, and inclusion, but they don't know how to do diversity, equity, and inclusion virtually. I think this is going to be a huge challenge for women in terms of, you know, um, you know, the energy industry is going through a huge change right now. You know, I think everybody's heard about Shell and BP and Exxon, you know, laying off people in record numbers. And a lot of times when those people are leaving the organization, they're the ones that are sponsoring women and they're advocates for women. And so how do you gain advocates and sponsors in a virtual environment? How do you make yourself more visible? Um, how do you continue to progress your career in a virtual environment? So I think that's going to be a huge challenge over the next two or three years. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that, Jeannie, that the energy industry is changing itself. So you have to try to sort of reinvent yourself um, to the next, the next part of the energy industry. For example, Williams is saying, we make clean en energy happen now. So you have to sort of reinvent yourself to make sure that you can re remain. Uh, for example, I was in coal and then had to move to oil and gas. And now I see that sort of occurring, that transition occur again. So a lot of people are probably gonna have to start over and sort of get their way back up into a different type of energy industry. I'm both hopeful and I'm also concerned. And the reason I'm hopeful is because I see 
a lot of great strides and a lot of interest in DEI and a lot of action, a, a real call to action. And so I feel like we really have momentum and this opportunity for all this progress to happen that will benefit women and other diverse people in the workplace. But at the same time, I'm concerned because as you said, with women leaving the workforce um, and uh, you know, just the numbers is what concerns me because I really feel very strongly having been the only woman in the room uh, a lot in a lot of occasions that you need three women or three diverse people. You need enough people in the room that you can all support each other, that you can all be yourselves and offer what you really have to bring to the table as opposed to just being one person or two person, two people in the room. I'm hopeful that we'll get there, but I'm kind of worried that we're um, you know, gonna slide backwards. I'd love to add to that, Jana, because as the energy industry changes, I think women are gonna play a really important role because we have the ability to multitask um, because we have to do it in our in our daily lives and bringing that diversity of thought whether it's a female voice or the voice of a person of color is going to make all the difference in moving these um, energy companies forward and our law firms or whoever it is because i think the more diverse voices that you have in leadership the better that you meet any challenge I think we've proven that by pivoting in a virtual world. We've pivoted with WEN so well that we should be able to do the same pivoting in the workforce to another type of energy solution. And I think a lot of it goes back to what Samatera was saying also is that, you know, we really need to look at how do we upskill and, and, and reskill ourselves because the industry is changing so quickly around us. You know, everyone's talking about, you know, the Paris Agreement, net zero, net carbon zero by 2050. And so a lot of the uh, energy businesses are really shifting their focuses. And we need to make sure from a win perspective that our members have those skill sets that are marketable. So as their companies shift, they can also shift. We do have a task force that's just for that. So if anybody wants to join or be part of it, we are taking people in for that. <laughs> I like that plug. Good job. Good job. <laughs> um, moving into the next question, uh, we talked about some of the challenges that we perceive women facing moving forward. If you're open to sharing any personal or professional challenges that you yourself have faced, I'd love to hear those and have you share those with our audience right now. So I can start on this one. So over the last two years, I've been working on some really, really high profile projects at work. And the biggest challenge that I face is burnout or let's say avoiding burnout. Um, we put, you know, as women, we've always put on our red batches of courage, right? Working all kinds of insane hours, you know, pushing our teams to the brink, you know, a lot of times we just never stop. And it's really tempting to try to be the superhero and resolve everyone's problems. And what I try to remember is that I have to take a step back and take care of myself and take care of my family. And so a lot of times you'll find my calendars blocked out so that I have time to actually reflect. And I'm super, super duper famous for taking mental health days. It's like, okay, it's Thursday, I need a mental health day. 
or I'll say, oh, I'm not working this afternoon. I'm taking a mental health afternoon. Um, I think it's just really important for us to really think about ourselves and take care of ourselves because the work isn't going away. It's going to still be there. And I think it's important to trust other people and be able to delegate down and Trust that your team can resolve the problems, trust that they can resolve the issues, trust that they can deliver. And I think the other thing is, you know, don't feel embarrassed to ask for help, right? A lot of times we want to be the ones to solve the problem, but a lot of times we can't be the only ones to solve the problem. So really understand when you've reached your limits and when you need to ask for help. That's awesome. Um, Jeannie, I just want you to know that my favorite thing to say is I'm like vanilla ice. Yo, if there's a problem, I'll solve it. So I love hearing you say that about like blocking off time and making sure to take time for yourself. Because I think as women, Erin alluded to earlier, we're all multitaskers. We all want to help. We all want to do these things. And I think that's really, really important. So thank you for sharing that. I will say that Jeannie taught me um, to delegate really well. And, and to dedicate a day for certain things. So like my one day is on Fridays. So sometimes things will pop up that during the day, I can't, I just don't have time to handle it. And I'll push that to Friday because that's my one day. So she did show me how to do that. And it's okay to wait till Friday. Sometimes, sometimes you can't, but you have to know that it's okay. It can't, it can wait. It doesn't have to be done right this second. <laughs> one thing that I've learned uh, as a win leader is flexibility, right? So you could have the best strategy for the year all planned out and everybody can have all their duties that they're going to fulfill and you're working through that and then boom, something happens that just changes on the fly. And to be able to uh, pivot as we've discussed or to move from your strategy and that requires a certain amount of uh, just believing in yourself and believing in the group and, and going with your gut, using your intuition a little bit to uh, do what you need to do in that moment and not being, you know, stuck on your plans and, and saying, well, I can't do anything else because, you know, I'm on this path, but, but being able to, to rise to the occasion, I guess. Everyone on this call knows my personal challenge was I was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer in October, 2015. And, um, you know, that changed everything. And all the lessons that you guys have voiced here are lessons that it took me getting cancer to learn, that you have to take care of yourself, but that you can meet any challenge. And you use every tool in the box when you, when you meet a challenge, you do your research, you depend on your friends, you depend on your colleagues. Um, but you find a way through and, and we can find a way through all of these challenges that we meet as women in the industry, whether it's our personal lives or our professional lives. Um, there's a lot of hope. I loved your message, Jana, that you're concerned, but you're hopeful um, because I have a lot of hope and hope gets you through just about anything. Well, and I will say it's very exciting that even though you went through that, Erin, that I believe your last scans were completely cancer free. So kudos to you. Me clapping. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. I would love to ask you all in, in one word, uh, why you think that anybody listening that's not a current member should become a member. And I'm going to kick it off with just using Aaron's story of friendship. 
Sorry, and I'm gonna say one word. So, <laughs> so I really didn't mean one word. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if I can say that in one word. Uh, that, that's fair. You can have. That's you can tough. have a sentence. I agree. How's that? <laughs> Sorry. Try. I would. I would say network is your net worth. I've always said that about when. I can't say it in one word because I've just been involved so long. But for me, it's all it's it's been a great investment. You know, I will only pay my membership fee every single year, uh, and I don't do that with all organizations. A lot of organizations, I go and I'm like, okay, what benefits am I getting out of that? But I never ever have to question the benefits for when. So it's been a great investment for me from both a personal and a professional perspective. It's really given me the opportunity to connect with people and learn, um, not just from the speakers, but learn from other people. It's allowed me to have my voice be heard, which a lot of times at work, women don't have the confidence that they need and they don't feel like their voice has been heard. And I definitely feel like within when my voice has been heard. And it's also allowed me to be coached by and mentored by some of the most influential men and women in the energy industry. So when has made a huge difference in my life. Yeah, I agree with things that Jeannie has said for sure. And I really agree with friendship as being, you know, probably my A number one uh, reason that I think that all women in our industry should be involved in WIN. But I think it's expanded my horizons too. You know, the relationships I have in WIN, both people I know well and new people that I meet all the time, I just learn so much from those people that I don't already know. Both ways to handle things and way to deal with things better. I learn more about our industry and the possibilities that are out there and what's really going on. It's kind of like a way to have your ear to the ground in a lot of different areas beyond the specific area that you might be working in right now. So I just think it really expands my horizons being a WIN member. Yeah, there's a lot of support within WIN is the way I feel about the friendships and the support. And, and it's amazing to watch women work collaboratively, but it's also been a lot of fun to watch um, the women that are involved grow in their careers and to know that if we've made a difference in one woman's life, in her professional or even her personal life, that's totally worth the investment that we've made. And I think I think that's an excellent point, Erin. I mean, because I can contribute the growth in my career directly back to WIN and the people that I've met in WIN from executive coaches. I mean, you know, I utilize when, when a coach shows up, I'm like, oh, let me talk to that coach. So from executive coaches to the people I've met, the things I've learned from different people, leadership styles, you know, emulating yourself after others that you've met. I mean, it, it's just a huge benefit. I would say there's absolutely zero downfall and when is for everybody and it's probably gonna be the best investment that anybody could ever make into their career. That's awesome. And I'm sorry, I tried to force you all into a one word <laughs> answer on that. <laughs> <Adding work>. <laughs> um, okay, so final question before we go into our little fun facts speed round. Uh, where do you see when in three years?
So um, in three years, I hope Wynn is a household name. You know, Wynn has grown organically over the last, you know, 10, 20 years. We don't advertise a lot. We don't market ourselves a lot. So I want Wynn to be a household name with over 10,000 members. And I want to see Wynn progress in this DE&I uh, agenda and serve as a resource, not only for our members, but for the industry itself. I really see WIN as a vehicle for breaking equality barriers when members lead in companies. So that's where I see WIN in three years. That's hard to top, Jeannie. Um, that's a great vision. <laughs> that's a great vision. I agree with the 10,000 members. That was definitely the number that I had in my head. And, and we meet that strategic plan of being more global. I think we see that here in a couple months becoming a little bit more global, but then expanding even into uh, areas beyond North America. Yeah, I definitely see the growth, right? So I feel like it's been pent up during the pandemic and a lot of chapters that would have formed and a lot of growth that would have happened, that would have happened hasn't, but it will, right? So this year we'll add chapters and next year and the year after that, and I think we're gonna see a tremendous amount of growth. Uh, I do think we will go international uh, as well. And, but I also think that we'll be more connected. So uh, we have, as part of our strategic plan, we talk about, you know, there being local elements, but being connected globally. And I really see that uh, within our next three years that we can be more connected amongst all of our chapters and all of our members into this thing, this network that's really bigger than any of us uh, at least me, could have imagined when I first joined with. Well, I know what my goals are now. <laughs> 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 no, uh, for me, I really see us expanding globally. I think that North America was our first step and also improving our chapters across the United States and seeing a lot more of those chapters come on board and, and create a diversity across the globe for us. I think it's really something that we're going to see within the next three years. And then one of the things that I'd really like to, to see is diversity into other energy industries, um, not just oil and gas. So we're really working hard on that this year. It was part of our strategic plan. And, and I think really growth and diversity is the two main things that we're gonna see. I love it. And uh, basically what I heard is none of you are getting any out of any type of leadership role for like the next 10 years. So <laughs> <laughs> that's basically what I heard. I didn't hear that, so I <laughs> We're going to have to form an elders council. <laughs> love, love it. it. Love it. Awesome. Well, thank you all four for being with me today. I really appreciate you taking the time and, and letting our members know who you are, as well as where we started and where we want to go. So I think this is going to be an awesome episode for anybody that is a member or looking to be one. But before I let you go, uh, we are going to do a fun fact speed round. First question is, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, my gosh. Crazy as it sounds, work. I love to work. I have a passion about delivering against our goals and I love the people that I work with. So work in, in the people. The swimming pool gets me out of bed. I'm a lap swimmer. I swim every morning. And so the first thing I do when I get up before I talk to anybody, anything else is I go swim a bunch of laps. Wow, and I'm just going with my dog gets me out of bed um, <laughs> because it's time to go on a W-A-L-K, which I'm spelling now because she's here in the room with me. And for me, it's coffee. I'm not a morning person, so don't even talk to me or look at me until I have my coffee. 
And then the second question, where would I find you at 5 p.m.? So at 5 p.m., I'm usually asking Google to find me a recipe for all the miscellaneous vegetables I have in my refrigerator. And then shortly after, you will find me cooking. I'm usually at work at 5, but um, if I'm not, I'm having a happy hour drink with a friend or a colleague or cooking dinner. Yeah, I'm finishing a call usually around 5 and then thinking about an excuse to have a cocktail. Um, believe it or not, I'm a beach body coach. So I'm usually at, in the gym or at Pure Bar or heading towards spin. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe, rate and review and follow us on social media. Guest info and action links can be found in the episode notes. But if you have any questions, make sure you contact us via our website, www.womensenergynetwork.org. Until next time, stay connected.